the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, a big day for my co-host. We're going to talk about that. And then how should we as Christians be talking about abortion? You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. It is a big day. Let me uh, explain why it's a big day. Aubrey, today is a huge day for us here at The Common Good, and particularly for you because it's the start of the football season. Exactly. That's exactly what I had in mind. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing on my mind today is the NFL and football. If you've been with us at all over the last couple weeks or even the last couple months, you know uh, that Aubrey's got a new book coming out called Known. And Aubrey, this is book launch day. Uh, I woke up excited for you. So you just oh, must be, thanks. it must be Christmas for you right now. How are you feeling today? It, I mean, it definitely felt like Christmas. It was so hard to sleep last night. Finally at 4.30, I was like, I'm just awake. Like this is, <laughs> this is futile for me at to pretend like I can get any sleep right now. And part of it is nervous energy and excitement. And part of it is like, make sure you did this, make sure this goes there, make sure, you know, so I, but I'm thrilled. I'm glad it's been a lot of energy building up to today. So it's really, really fun. And tonight is the book launch party. Everyone's invited. Just everyone. <laughs> everyone listening can come tonight. Uh, anyway, it's going to be a great time. And I am thrilled, 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 thrilled. So for those uh, many of us, myself included, who've never written a book, book <clears throat> launch day is exactly as it sounds, right? Like you could pre-order the book, but what changes today for people? How, do, how are things different for you today? Yeah. So today, I mean, there's been a lot of buildup because you want to get those pre-orders, but now books should be landing on people's, you know, front porches from Amazon or their local bookstore or whatever. It also is like, kind of like, hey, what number is it going to hit on Amazon? And hey, the articles start coming out and the interviews start coming out and the words start spreading Mm -hmm. and hopefully it's received well. So it's a little bit of like... Hey world, here's my baby. I hope you don't think it's ugly. Like there's a little <laughs> bit of that now too, you know. Oh, um, awesome. But I am uh, so there's definitely a dash of vulnerability yeah, yeah. Uh, with with more of a bigger picture of excitement and fun. And I can't wait for readers to get this book in their hands. So I'm really excited. Can you know in like real time what it's doing at Amazon? Like, and therefore that also then requires a follow up question. How often will you check about how it's doing? Uh, so I typically don't check because I I don't know. I can't play that game with myself or I become like psychotic a little bit. And so this is just the real life of authors, by the way. But I will have, I promise you, I'm going to have friends texting me all day. Like, it's number whatever. It's number whatever. It's, you know. And so, I, you know, we'll see what happens. It doesn't totally matter except that then Amazon puts it kind of high on their algorithm and we'll start recommending it to more people. And so that's kind of the fun part of that. 
I mean, it does matter just simply so that you could put it in your bio too. It's like how uh, yeah, you're your, right. You're right. Your last book got to be was it not number one in the Christian death section on uh, Amazon? Brian, I mean, it was number my my sons reminded me of this this morning. It was number one, two, and number four in Christian death. I mean, you and are the Christian so death I, author. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what category this one fits in, so we'll see if it hits any of those high numbers in its category. Hopefully not Christian death, because that's not what I wrote about this time. It, we all have to have our lane, right? <laughs> we've that's all right, got our right. lane. And we so all we, have our anointing. We've been doing this a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but since your book comes out today, let me be the first one to interview you today about your book. Remind oh, us, uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience so they could get, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Tell us name of the book and yeah. what it's yeah. about. What is generally yeah. this book about? Yep. The book is called Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. Available everywhere books are sold. And um, here, let me tell you why I wrote it. Two reasons. Uh, the first is that I think there are a lot of us walking around with sort of false names, meaning things that oh, we've talked about this on the show, Brian, things that we walk around like I am unworthy. I am looking for someone else to approve of me. I am to this. I am not this enough. So there's a sense that we walk around allowing um, false names to kind of define who we are. But then also, I just think in the world we're living in right now, there are so many movements and political parties and people groups and what have you trying to commodify us and own us and in a sense name us. So really this was a book in the middle of a pandemic and a middle of what in the world is happening in the world to kind of harken back to like who God says you are. Let's go back to scripture. I actually there's only a handful of of uh scriptures in the Bible that use the phrase image of God directly, mm. like you have been created in the image of God. And so I walk through each of those verses and just do a personal reflection and a theological reflection, like what might that mean that you and I have been created in the image of God? I would say, secondly, the other reason that I wrote it is almost antithetical to the first, because the other thing that's happening, I'm seeing it in our generation and in the younger generation, is this need to make a name for yourself, mm -hmm. like this need to... um almost professionalize your calling or professionalize your ministry or brand your calling or brand your ministry in order so that you feel like you're doing something big and That's recognizable right. and people will see you and know you and you'll be quote unquote famous. And I actually think that is a major lie of the enemy that he has really gotten a hold of our hearts, especially in Western American Christianity telling us that like, if we're not branding our ministry, we're not doing big things for God. And we're not getting the attention of the right people and the right websites and the right platforms. And I, I just, that is not from the Lord. Like yeah. ultimately we know that Jesus shunned away any kind of recognition like that until the final hour. And, and, and I think it is so important for us as Christians to go back to remembering like, yes, God has named us intimately. God knows us intimately. God loves us deeply. The end of the day, we are not here for our names, but for the name of Jesus and the renown of Jesus. That's and right. so that's what that's what known is. Known is a book about our names, but ultimately it's a book about the name of Jesus. That's an interesting point. I remember I hit this point a couple of years ago as a pastor where I, I I stopped saying from the pulpit telling people God wants to use you to change the world <laughs> like because there was this thing of like man we're going to go change the world we're going to do this and God still uses individual mm -hmm. people to change the world but That's right. it just felt like we were setting people up for for disappointment instead talk about God wants to use you to change your world like the people yes. around you where he and, has you yes, yes. yes. 
So, okay, who is, and I know every author probably hates this question because the answer is I want everybody to buy the book, but, mm. but what's the sweet spot yeah. for this book? Yeah. Who is, who is that person? Yeah, that's a great question. It is for anyone. And I mean, anyone, I wrote this for men and women, and I'm going to say this as an aside, and then I'll answer your question. I think too often women in Christian publishing are really like I'm put in this narrow category where you're only writing for women. So I specifically like this book and my last book, The Louder Song, are for men and women on purpose. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, ultimately, it's for anyone who fears, who feels I have these W's. Anyone who feels weary, anyone who feels wounded, anyone who feels worried, anyone Mm. who feels war-torn about their identity, about their sense of self, and about who God is. And I think after the past like 14 months we have all lived through, there are so many people either hurting or walking with someone who's hurting. And honestly, this is a book of hope. Like I, I talk about really, really hard things in the book. I talk about suffering. I talk about um sexual assault. I talk about identity struggles. I talk about the ways other people hurt us. But it is a book that points to hope. And in spite of all that, and in the midst of all that, what is God doing and what is God saying? So Mm. it's, I would say it's a real book. Like I don't sugarcoat anything, but ultimately it is a book that leads you to a place of hope. Awesome. So wherever it is that you get your books, Go get known today. K-N-O-W-N, known. It is out today. We're going to see where – maybe every day we'll tell people where it is on the list on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's low, and then we're just not going to talk about this ever again. <laughs> this book will go unmentioned. Well, we're happy for you. Congratulations. It's a big day. And, uh, again, we would encourage people to go out and get the book. Well, coming up next, uh, lots of conversation around abortion right now after the new abortion laws down in Texas went into effect. How is it that we as Christians should be engaging this conversation right now? There's a great article by our friend David French around this, and we're going to discuss that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. All over social media and all over uh, the news right now is this uh, highly controversial uh, abortion law that went into effect in the state of Texas. Aubrey and I talked about it last week, but it is riling people up on both sides of the aisle. And I would say more so, Aubrey, not surprisingly, on the um, the pro-choice side of the aisle right, because right. people are just up in arms about this. Is If I see another post about, uh, you know, what this is going to do and this and that. Uh, and Aubrey, I guess I'll start here. And then I want to get into an article that our friend David French wrote about this because as he often does, I thought it was super helpful. Um, but what have you been seeing in the news and on your social media feed, maybe hearing from friends uh, about this new Texas abortion law? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing that I'm hearing, and I do think this is a very thoughtful, important response, is that it can't just be about banning abortions. Mm-hmm. It has to also be about, like, if we're truly pro-life, and you and I say this on the show a lot, then that means we have to find a way to provide better health care, better support for women. So that, um, you know, single moms don't feel like they don't have a choice. And so I would say that's that's most of what I'm hearing is like this is not enough or this is too extreme without looking at the whole picture. This actually won't help anything. That's some of the critique that I'm hearing. Um, And then some of the other critique is I think 
actually misinformation, like yeah. this idea that, um, you know, vigilantes in Texas are going to start arresting people and arresting women. And I certainly, you know, that could happen. I certainly don't think that's the point of the law, but I do understand people's fear and concern. What about, what about you, Brian? What are you hearing? A, a lot of the same. I think there's a lot of um, kind of fear mongering that says this yeah. is now going to happen. You know, all women who want an abortion are going to be in a back alley now again or uh, or the other side of the aisle, kind of where we kind of land more so people going, oh, abortion's gone for good. Nope, that is not the case that's either. That's not true. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and that's why I think David French becomes helpful because he's a lawyer and he speaks a lot about constitutional mm. law and, and what this does mean. He wrote at the French press, uh, just kind of a concept that I'd really like to talk about as we ask ourselves, how do we as Christians now engage this conversation? We've been engaging it, but it's kind of now to the forefront. It's on the front burner culturally again. And David French wrote, the pro-life movement must transcend politics, thoughts on life, justice, love, and Texas. And he, he points out that right now the abortion debate is completely polarized. Uh, mm -hmm. that, um, that it is that there used to be 30 years ago, a pro-life wing of the democratic party. Uh, and you're not going to find that now that, that it's completely partisan and completely, uh, political and, and that, that, um, kind of clouds the debate and, and the, the nuance to the conversation about what it means to be pro-life. And I, I guess Aubrey, I'd start here. Do you even think it's possible uh, for us to um, differentiate, if you will, or disentangle uh, our politics from this abortion debate or those uh, linked now partisanly just um, for good now. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely think it's possible, but probably not in the public arena. So what I mean is like for our churches, it's possible in with our neighbors. It's possible with, um, you know, if you're part of any type of pro-life organization that's loving on moms. It's possible. Uh, um, you know, but I, I do think, unfortunately, just the way social media works and the way our politics have become so partisan. I mean, they always have been, but especially I feel like over the past couple of years that it's almost impossible to have this conversation and remember that it's about actual like human life and actual like babies and women. Mm -hmm. And so I do think some of us are going to have to just stop. I mean, say what you want to say against abortion online, but like, let's do the actual work embodied in our churches with our neighbors in our cities. If that does that make sense, Brian? Absolutely. There was a great not I'm not a big meme guy, but there was a meme going around or that created a lot of discussion on social media this weekend where somebody, uh, uh, a very uh, liberal person was like, okay, if we're going to have this, then this is, where are all the pro-life people who then think that we should do X, Y, and Z? She was trying to say there's a hypocrisy. And I saw all these pastors mm. and friends going, no, 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 we sign up for that. Like, that's what we yeah. want. Uh, and, yes. and I think understanding that this is a complex issue, but but that we as pro-life Christians need to say, okay, now's the time to put our money where our mouth is right now, literally putting money, but time, who's going to adopt babies, who's going to support the the um, the um, pregnancy centers, 
Who's right, going exactly. to literally foster and adopt children? Like this is a church, a chance for the church to go, hey, we've been adamantly pro-life through all of this. But for us, this is more than like a political platform. It's more than a way to get votes. It's more than it transcends politics. And we are going to now be the the vehicle. The church is going to be the vehicle that's saying we're going to stand up and we're going to show that that by having babies, that moms can be supported, babies can be adopted and that there is a mm-hmm. different way to go about this. Yeah. If we just go, ha ha, we won and there's no support, then this is going to go really badly. Yeah, I totally agree. One of the things that David French says in the article, uh, and let me just start to wrap up with this. He says, I know I'm being repetitive, but recall this verse. He has shown you, O oh, mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? And then David French says this, act justly. The beating heart of an unborn child isn't valuable because its parents love it and want to bring it into this world. It has independent value. It is the heart of a small person fearfully and wonderfully made and created in the image of God. A just nation protects that life. And I think that's the heart that we need is to remember that in all of these conversations, this is about honoring God and the Imago Dei, the image of God that is inherent in every single person, including little ones and their moms. Absolutely. That's a good spot to stop. We'd encourage you to go find it, the French press. Uh, again, David French is writing, you know that we're big fans of his, says the pro-life movement must transcend politics. What's the role for the church now? What's the role for we as Christians? How do we talk about this? Uh, but what are the next steps that we need to be taken? Well, coming up next, this was the opening weekend of college football, and I watched a lot of games, and I want to share what was probably the most inspirational uh, moment of college football from this weekend. I'm going to share that story next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on a Tuesday. I know you had, uh, with the book coming out, you had a lot on your mind this weekend. You're going and seeing Marvel movies and stuff. Me, yep. uh, we did a lot of fun stuff as a family, but also I watched my fair share of college football because this wow. was the beginning. In fact, uh, my son and my younger daughter, my youngest daughter, and I went to the Wheaton College game on Saturday, our Look alma mater. Yes, yes. Uh, I expected to see your husband there as a former Wheaton College uh, linebacker, but I did not. I must have missed him. Uh, you missed him. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> you missed him. Definitely. Uh, he wasn't helping me get ready for the there you go. or anything. There you go. And okay, so, who who are you like excited about? What college teams are you excited about this year, Brian? Yeah, uh, this is the weird thing about college football for me because I love – I you know me. Like in baseball, I'm a diehard New York Mets fan. In football, I'm a yes. diehard New York Giants fan. I actually don't have a college team because when you're from the East Coast, there's no like college team out Interesting. there. So, Interesting. I just kind of like college football and watch it. You should be like you grew up in college football country. So you've got to be a fan. Yeah. So I I mean, I would use the fan, the word fan loosely, (laughs) but I would say my dad played for Texas Tech. My parents are actually, believe it or not, huge Sooners fans. I know I don't think the Susan the Sooners are ranked really high this year, but uh, uh, so I would say if I'm rooting, I'm rooting for what used to be like the Big 12 or the Big 10. And so Texas teams, Oklahoma, not Oklahoma State, but OU. Uh, again, that's like, 
if I'm trying to bond with my family. So I'm going to save you here. You you just showed your lack of college football like uh, follow followership because you just said I don't think Oklahoma is very high. They are literally ranked number two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I mean, you know, I'm being I'm being honest. I if by their if by they're not ranked very high, you all your bar is only number one. Only number one. Yeah, or they really they really let me down if they're not if they're not number one. They almost <laughs> they almost got upset this weekend, but they did win. That's pretty So funny. now I feel better being a Sooners fan. See, now I'll own it. They're doing well. I'm a massive OU Sooners fan. <laughs> now that you know they're number two. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. So on Sunday night, the big game on Sunday night was Florida State-Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame was supposed to beat Florida State pretty handily. But let me give you the background here. It ended up being an awesome game. Went to overtime. Notre Dame won it in overtime. Uh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, 41 to 38. Uh, but that wasn't the big story of, uh, uh, of the game. Florida State, their backup quarterback. So the first quarterback, he was having an okay game. He got kind of dinged up. They put the backup quarterback and he kind of made a big comeback. Well, their backup quarterback is a kid by the, a kid. He's kind of older now named Mackenzie Milton. And Mackenzie Milton had, he used to be, Two years ago at Central Florida, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, which is like the best player in the league, in the in the nation. He had one of the single most devastating knee injuries you could have, where like literally Mm. like slit the artery. And like they thought Uh. they might they thought they might need to amputate his leg. And he's the first ever person through some they were calling it a medical miracle to even get back to the field who who suffered this sort of injury he comes into the game the other day and leads them back on this comeback ties the game but then notre dame wins in overtime but it was this really heartwarming story they kept showing his Mm. parents in the stands his mom is weeping and everybody is like this is such a cool story After the game, here's what Mackenzie Milton said. Let me read you his quote. He said, God is real. Nobody has ever come back from an injury like this. It's the answer of prayer. Thousands Mm. of people praying for me. Coaches Mm. believing in me. I'm not here without all the prayers and people believing in me. So amazing. uh, Aubrey, we always end up taking a little bit of a, a different view. But before I do that, just hearing that story and reading that quote, you could see totally an inspirational kind of Disney story, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I think it's, you know, and again, here I am kind of joking about being a sports fan, but this is what's so great about sports. These stories of comebacks and these stories that are so inspirational and the fact that, you know, Mackenzie Milton came back from such a horrific injury and then giving the glory to God, I, I, there's something very cool about that. I would definitely watch that Disney movie. For yes, sure. exactly, exactly. And so, I mean, if it was a true Disney movie, they would have won the game. But uh, <laughs> that's right, was, that's right. It was really cool. But Aubrey, let me take something from his quote. Uh, let Let me take it from another direction, though. Uh, we love when he had this success and this journey and he's giving glory to God and the people who believed in him and prayers. But what about the person who reads this who goes, wait a minute, I've been praying for X Yes, I was literally just time. thinking about that. Yeah, uh, I've got cancer and I will yep. give all the glory to God if he takes that cancer <laughs> away from me. Yeah. I've got this debilitating mm. illness or I can't, you know, I've, I've lost my ability to hear or to see and I would love that to be restored. I've been praying. People have been praying. 
uh, all of this stuff, and and God doesn't seem to have done anything about it. Let, let's talk about that because I yeah. love his quote and it's so inspirational. But if I were one of those people, I might be like, hold on. Am I just praying incorrectly? Uh, are we not? Do I not have enough people praying? Uh, Aubrey, how would you answer that really difficult question? I'm so glad you brought that up, Brian, because anytime I see tweets like this or social media posts like this, I am simultaneously so encouraged by the power of prayer. But then I always think about people around the globe. I mean, you think about later on in the show, we're going to talk about the women in Afghanistan right now who are praying and it doesn't seem like God is moving. And so I I think this is one of the hardest, hardest questions to grapple with. And ultimately, the only real answer is... <laughs> What what does Job say? Like, uh, though he slay me, I will worship him. The mm. Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, you know, Jesus's attitude before going on the cross, not my will, but your will be done. And I think ultimately we don't understand why God doesn't answer prayers the way that we want him to. And I think this comes down to like the realest faith that you can have. Mm -hmm. All right, God. I'm going to worship you for you and you alone, not just for your benefits, not just for your answer to prayers, not just for the things that you do for me, but because I trust that you are good and that one day, maybe it's in heaven, maybe yeah. it's you, when you return, but one day everything will be okay. <laughs> and I think we have to go back to like Paul, he's encouraging people towards Christ, literally facing his death, the disciples literally facing their death. Like, But they had that blessed assurance, it's going to be okay, even as they're going to the chopping block. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. so it, this is really the question of real faith. Now we praise God when he answers prayers miraculously, but we also praise him when it seems like he doesn't, trusting that he actually is mm -hmm. just in his perfect timing. Yeah, and I think you make a, it's that point of perspective too, that says, even if not in this lifetime, like I'm still going to trust God because I know that this life yeah. is not all that there is. And I'll continue praying and asking. God says, ask. So I'm going to continue praying for healing. I'm going to continue praying for whatever it is I'm praying for, but trusting that God is good and can be trusted. And so we want to yeah. celebrate what Mackenzie Milton did, but even what his perspective is while still understanding that that this could be hard for some people and, and wanting to be an encouragement. And uh, let me close by just saying and encourage you to be a person of prayer. Be praying for other people. Be praying. God, God invites us to pray. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, and we are so glad that you're with us today. Brian and I are both parents of school children. I know some of you listeners are parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends of people who have school children. And so um, I think a question that we've been asking, we actually touched on this last week when we started talking about the new uh, sex ed curriculum that will be instated in Illinois next year is, when are schools going too far? Mm -hmm. And as Christians, what is our responsibility towards our kids, towards the school, towards standing up against things we're not for? Like, what do we do in difficult situations? And there was a really, really interesting article over at ChristianPost.com. Some parents out in California are actually suing a public school system, uh, suing the Department of Education, actually, 
because um, their kids' class in an ethnic studies curriculum have been chanting to Aztec gods, like mm. actually calling on deities, according to this article. And though um, the curriculum labels it as an affirmation, it actually addresses the deities both by name, by their traditional titles, recognize them as sources of power and knowledge, invokes their assistance. In short, it's a prayer. Yes. Okay. So (laughs) what is is your regular prayer? (laughs) I mean, it's a prayer to some pagan deities. Let's be honest. Yeah. So Ryan, what do we do as parents in situations like that? And particularly as Christian parents, what do we do? Oh, I think this is a time to be loud. <laughs> I think this yeah, is a time. Yeah, yeah. This is not one of those. Well, you know what? We are going to. No, this is a. This would be a time if I lived in California, I would be right there with people going, you are not yeah. going to have my kid doing that. This right, is right. no place. And uh, I, I just can't fathom why. Uh, why this would be part of the curriculum. Again, I've been very clear on this show that um, I don't want my kids saying the Lord's Prayer in their public school. Mm-hmm. I don't want my kids praying to Allah in my in the public mm-hmm. school. And I certainly want wouldn't want my kids praying to five Aztec deities in their school, whether you call <laughs> it a prayer or not. Uh, if, if we're going... It's again, this is not a part of education. You could teach them about the Aztec culture. Yes, exactly. You could teach them about Aztec history, which we all learned in history class at some point in our education. I'm not suggesting we should never talk about the Aztecs, but to Mm -hmm. take it to the level of we're going to learn and recite their prayers to their deity and I would just suggest to people, just think about the, uh, you know, if, if my kids, they learned about the history of Christianity in their, cl- you know, classes. They learned about uh, Muslim, yep. you know, Muslim history, Jewish history, yep. all sorts of things. If they had come home and said, hey, yeah, you know what? We learned about uh, the origins of Islam and all of this. And then, you know what? We we said prayers to Allah. We we knelt on <laughs> Right. And we faced right. out the right direction. I'd be like, uh, y- you are not going back to that class. That yeah, is, not, and I would be on the phone. And so, no, this is, yeah. I, I think Christians can get too riled up about things that they shouldn't get riled up about. You've heard that on this show many times. Absolutely. About that. Yeah. That we talk about not everything that's uncomfortable is persecution, mm-hmm. all of this stuff. Uh, I don't think this falls under one of those categories. I think this is one of those times to be on the phone with the principal, to be called, to be pulling kids from a, I, I think this is a big deal. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it is a massive deal. And I think if we don't think it's a big deal, then we need to wake up a little bit. Um, I, I certainly am with you, Brian. I want my kids to know everything. And so, uh, yes, know that Aztec folks prayed to certain gods, but then to move to a level where you're actually practicing praying to them is really sort of akin to like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being asked to like bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idols. Like we will not do that. We will not as Christians participate, even if it's in a classroom experience, education rather than worship, even that we will not participate in bowing down to any pagan idol. And I'm going to sound a little super spiritual here, but like, just let me go there. I am of the belief that there is real spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. and that any 
God or deity, like little God, little deity that is being worshipped or called upon, like you are actually calling upon some evil, scary stuff. And so I, I think one, like, let's be clear about the spiritual world. But I think two, just practically speaking, I mean, on the other side, parents would freak out if the teacher started having kids praying to Jesus. And so I think there's even just that practically, like, therefore, it's okay for us to not be okay if our kids are being called to pray to, you know, whoever the Aztec God is or whatever. Like, this is a moment for for Christians to be like, okay, if that's the expectation that our kids aren't going to pray to Jesus in school, I am great with that. But then you need to honor us as well. We're going to ask that you not you know, chant to whatever God you feel like. And so I, I, I'm with you, Brian. I tend to get really upset when Christians freak out about things they don't need to. I tend to get upset when um, Christians call things persecution that aren't. I, I do think this is a moment where standing up before the Lord and saying, no, like our kids aren't going to participate in this change classes. If you have to, I don't think you need to like tear the teacher down, but I just think know what your rights are and know what you can stand up against. Yeah, yeah. and I think you bring you know, up an important oh, point. I'm sorry. I think you bring up an important point that I brought up as well. Uh, we as Christians should be ha- taking this posture um, even if it is, like I said before, the Lord's Prayer that they're having the kids chant yeah. in the public school. Yeah. Like we yeah. need to be there for our Jewish friends and our Muslim yes. friends. In the yes. same way that we would want them there with behind us if they were, yes. again, uh, you know, praying to Allah or doing these Aztec prayers yeah. or whatever. There's no place for any of that in the public school. Like that's that that sometimes we're like, well, I don't want the Aztecs. But, yeah, you give me the Lord's Prayer. You give me this. Right. I'm good. <laughs> right. Uh, right. No, no, no. We, we need this uh, in our public schools to be kind of across the board. Uh, that's mm-hmm. why I always that's say people Brian. get surprised when I say this. I've said it from the pulpit. I don't want my kids being taught their theology, even if it's theology I agree with in the public school, because then I have to be okay with them being taught theology that I'm not okay with. Mm. Like I can't have one without the other. So I'd rather have neither and allow the yeah. church and at home to be the spot where we're crafting, where we're doing that. And all too often parents are like, I want this prayer in the school, but not that prayer. And that just isn't intellectually like that doesn't work. Uh, Mm, And so for that reason, we have to decide what is the function of the public school. And I would say categorically, this is not the function of the public school. Wow, Brian, that's I haven't heard you say that before, but I agree with you. I think that I think there is a lot of wisdom in that. That is not the function of the public schools. So when the schools go too far, you know, we have a right to say something about it. I think we can also remember this is California. We're not quite here in Illinois yet. Like things tend we're getting to move there. <laughs> a, little, a little bit slower in the Midwest, but this may be something that we're up against. As so as Christian parents, it's I think something for us to be mindful of aware of and use our voices about um and you know and not be afraid of not pull all your kids out of the public school but just use discernment use your wisdom use your voice Mm -hmm. when you need to anyway interesting things to come in the next school year it seems like Hopefully our kids aren't chanting to God. <laughs> Absolutely. This we're, school year. We're crossing our fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Interesting, interesting times. We'll stick around. When we return, we're going to talk about ways that we honor those we've lost. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Tuesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. And we're so happy that you've been with us tonight. We want to send you home with a really, really beautiful, powerful story. Thinking about people that we have lost. I know. I mean, I'm thinking just about COVID alone, the number of people that we've lost. And then throughout our lives, people that we've lost. Brian, I know you and Carrie have been through a lot of loss yourselves, and there is something in us that wants to honor people that um, have passed or honor some of the painful things that we've been through. I feel like that's there's something really human in that. Uh, Brian, do you think that's just like part of how we're made or like what is that instinct to honor those who have gone before us? Yeah, I, I do think that's an instinct. We see it all the way back in the Bible, right? Like regularly remembering and honoring. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that gets at it, that idea of remembering, you know, when you just push, but let's say you lose a loved one, uh, you don't want to just blow past that because then their memory is gone. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think honoring does something to say, no, this person is still making a difference. I remember this person. Uh, this person still matters to me, even though they're mm-hmm. no longer here. I think the, oh, I had the funeral, I'm moving forward now, kind of, uh, to use the language, dishonors the memory of that person. And yeah. so I think I think it is probably a natural thing to be like, I want to hold on to their memory. And by doing that, I want to kind of let everybody know how important of a person this was. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think there's just some like instinct in us that is really a healthy, good instinct that wants to continue to remember the people that we've loved and that we have lost. And part of it, I think, is just to acknowledge like the pain that we're in and so that other people don't forget like this person existed on this planet and they mattered. And I want you to remember this person with me. Um, There was a fascinating story all over the internet, but I particularly read it at goodmorningamerica.com. Olympic swimmer Elizabeth Beisel, she's 29 years old, in honor of her dad who died just a couple months ago from cancer. She is going to swim, listen to this, Brian, from Rhode Island to Block Island later on this week. Now, Mm. I don't know where Block Island is, but what I know is the swim is 20 kilometers or 12.4 miles in the open Atlantic Ocean. That's crazy. This is a dream that she's had since she was a little girl. She will be the first woman in history to finish if she finishes it. I'm cheering her on that she does. But she's doing it also to raise money uh, for cancer, which I think is really, really cool. Okay, so let's unpack this a little bit. One, what do you think about her doing this? Uh, it's really inspiring, right? And she's obviously yeah. a swimmer. She's one of the greatest swimmer. You know, if you're an Olympic gold medalist, you're one of the yeah. top, uh, you know, point oh 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 one of swimmers in the world. Um, man, I twelve miles in the open ocean. Now I know she'll have I mean, a boat by her. Like this is not yeah. like yeah. There, there are some safety precautions, but there's lots of things that live twelve miles Whoa! out in the open ocean. Uh, that obviously this has been a dream of her. She grew up by Block Island. Like this was a special place to her and her dad. Mm-hmm. So this isn't like a random, she's from Rhode Island. They would go to Block Island. This isn't like this mm-hmm. random, like, well, I'm going to choose that route. Uh, so more power to her. I think it's a beautiful, because it meant something to them. I think it's a beautiful picture uh, of her love and honoring of her dad. But just to be honest with you, 12.4 miles in the open Atlantic Ocean, no Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. It is. It's hard for me to even imagine like what twelve miles is like, even just walking or or running, but swimming in the open 
Ocean is mm-hmm. a whole new that's that's hardcore. Like she is leveling up. This gal is a legend. It says interestingly that she decided to complete the swim um to give her dad something to look forward to while he was in the middle of his cancer yeah. battle. But um, that he had a bigger mission in mind. He actually didn't want it to be about him at all. And so she ended up reaching out to Swim Across America, a nonprofit organization that hosts charity swims to raise money for cancer research. She was able to do this with her dad before he died. So he knew it was coming, which I think is really cool. And so now in honor of his passing, he passed in July. She's going to do this to raise money. She has now raised over $100,000 for cancer research, which is really cool. And all of the money is going to be given to local Rhode Island yeah. hospitals, including the hospital where her father fought his battle with cancer. I think that is so, so beautiful and so inspiring. Brian, besides just the like the feet right. okay, of this, what is inspiring about stories like these? Yeah. Uh, so a couple different things. One is the feet of the swimming. It is. I mean, that water yeah. is going to be rocky. I mean, choppy and cold. And there are things that swim in the ocean. 12 miles in the open ocean. Is, that's not like 12 miles in a pool. Like that's a whole different ball game. Right. right. Uh, and so that's inspiring that people are able to physically do stuff like that with the train. Like I, I, I could train from now till, till Jesus returns and I'm not going to be able to do that. But the very fact. <laughs> That people can do this, I think, is unbelievable. But there is, again, Aubrey, as we've been talking, the creativity of of doing something to honor her father mm-hmm. that was special to them. Uh, and that it, her original goal was to raise $5,000. She's raised over $100,000 right now. Like, this is going to make a difference. Uh, and And, you know, it's not what she dreamt. She dreamt that her dad would be there for this. Like, again, yeah, like he would yeah. be waiting for her on the beach. But there's still this honoring because, as you said, Scripture is full of honoring and remembering. Like, right, we think back to the Israelites and God's like, make an altar to this or bring back, put stones, right? Lay stones down as a remembrance mm-hmm. so you never That's forget. Right. There, There is a biblical um, imperative to honoring and remembering and doing these types of things, whereas we always just move forward and forward and forward. And, and so I think this is inspiring. It's going to be this yeah. Thursday. So I'd love to see a follow-up about it. So just the feat of it is unbelievable. Uh, but why she's doing it, I think, is is inspiring and a wonderful reminder uh, to honor and remember those who have gone before you, to honor and remember even those who are alive right now, but who mm. may be older and who played a huge role mm. in your life, that this is an important, really spiritual discipline. Yeah, that's so, that's so good, Brian. And I think for any listeners right now who are, I don't know, maybe you're carrying grief because of someone you've lost, or maybe it's not even a person you've lost, but like the death of a dream, or you're going through something really hard, or whoa, you're just looking at the world right now, and you are feeling heavy with grief and anxiety. I do think this story really is a larger story about the way that we can have some perspective on our pain and our suffering and how um, this Elizabeth is not denying the pain that she's in. Instead, she's taking this really hard, sad story about her precious dad. And she's saying, I am going to honor his memory by doing something really practical and meaningful and helpful to other people. And I get practical might not be a strong word, but (laughs) it's it's uh, it's incredible, I should say. But I think for for the rest of us, you know, you have maybe lost someone. You've maybe lost something. You don't have to go, you know, swim for 12 miles in the ocean, but are there some small ways? 
that you can honor your own grief and your own pain and in that way bless other people. Maybe it's helping plant a garden. Maybe it's um, writing a letter. Maybe it's uh, framing some pictures, right. posting something on social media. Like there are ways that all of us can honor our own pain, honor the loss of of something or someone, and we don't even realize how that will bless another person who's going through pain. And so again, we're not saying go out and swim 12 miles, but I think let's use this story, all of us, to be mindful of the ways out of our pain it can be repurposed to help and encourage somebody else. Yeah, I, I, so, I think that's super important, like you just said, because it's also going to inspire others. It's going to be a little movement, yeah. right, of people yeah. wanting to honor and remember those who have played a huge role in their lives. Yeah, that's good. I like that. All right. Well, we hope that encourages you this Tuesday evening. Thanks so much for joining us today on, I'm just going to say it, Brian, my book launch day. Boom. Book launch Congratulations. Day. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on The Common Good at AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.